Thank you for listening to the City Lights podcast. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. We hope you enjoy the message. Um, I'm going to preach a message here today that I was preparing earlier this week. I didn't know that none of you would be here uh, until we had the conference call with the governor on Friday. So I'm going to preach the message that I had uh, planned and prepared to preach. We've been in a series um, called The Dwelling Place, and we've been talking about the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, and we've been talking about and we've been exploring what it means to be individuals marked by God's presence and what it means to be a church that's marked by God's presence. That's what we want. More than anything, that's really what I want as a church, that we are marked by God's presence. And what a better time to be marked by God's presence. What better time to have the Spirit of the Lord resting heavily upon us and to show the world that we have something different living inside of us, that we're not caught up in fear, we're not caught up in panic, and, and we're not um, listening to the Spirit of the age. We're listening to the Spirit of God. Come on. So <clears throat> we've been doing that as a series. This week, I'm going to kind of do a sequel to what I did last week. Last week, I talked about what biblical praise looks like, and we, I didn't end up where I wanted to end up. And uh, to be honest, there was even more content that I have today that I couldn't fit all in today, but we're going to get as far as we can here. But so it's going to be kind of a, sink, a sequel. We're going to talk about biblical praise. Well, I'm going to intro that, and then we'll, we'll get into some new stuff. I gave this illustration last week that biblical praise, and we'll go through these, these um, 10 words in the Bible for praise, um, the primary ones in the Bible for praise in the Old Testament. We'll just review them real quickly. But um, I mentioned that it's like, uh, how many know are familiar with the love languages? We all have love languages. Um, you got to pray for me right now because my love language is touch and quality time. These are the two things that are like you can't do right now. So you can't have anyone touching me, no one spending time with me. So, but God has what I, with the comparison I like to give, it's like love languages. The, the way we praise Him biblically is these are ways that God wants to receive love from us. And so let me review them real quick. Um, biblical praise. What does it look like? We, the ten words here, todah. It's, it means to praise God with a singing choir. Barak, to, to praise God by bowing or kneeling, getting low. Uh, tehillah, to sing those spontaneous songs of the Spirit. Spontaneous songs from the heart. Halal, it means to praise God while looking calamitously foolish. Yada, means to praise God through the raising of your hands. Zamar means to praise God with a musical instrument. Shabak means to praise God um, by exclaiming a shout of praise or being loud. Uh, Taki means to clap or to applaud, by praising God by clapping or applauding. Mahol means to praise God um, with a dance. It's biblical to dance at times before the Lord and to praise him with a dance. Raum means to exalt or to lift high. These are biblical expressions of how the, the Bible talks about how to praise God. And if we want to praise God in the way that the Bible prescribes, um, we should do these. Now, um, all those are appropriate responses to God. But our prayer, and I mentioned this last week, our prayer is that none of these would feel like, and I have to. Or when you're coming to church, none of them would feel like, you know, I got someone looking over my shoulder, so I better raise my hands. That's not what we're going for. We don't want any of these to feel like I have to. We want these to feel like I get to. Right? I get to do these. I get to praise God. I get to come to church with my brothers and sisters and praise God. It's like giving. We don't, we don't want you to feel like, oh, I have to give. I'm obligated to give. We want you to have a heart of giving. We want you to give out of the abundance of a, of a gracious heart. 
And so we can, well, the definition I had last week of praise, I believe this is a good definition of praise, is praise is love expressed. Simply put, praise is love expressed. Um, if you don't praise God in these ways, by lifting your hands, by singing, by dancing, by bowing low, I'm not saying that you don't love God. You, you might be sitting there, you know, in praise and worship with your arms crossed, and there might be fireworks going off in your heart. I'm not saying you don't love God. Or just standing there like, whatever, you know. I'm not saying you don't love God. I'm not saying there aren't fireworks going off in your heart. But I am asking, are you expressing that love? Are you showing that love to God? Um, the illustration I gave last week is, if you don't do anything for your spouse's birthday, it's their birthday and you don't even acknowledge it, I'm not saying you don't love your spouse. But what I am saying is, are you expressing love to your spouse if you don't do something for their birthday? Okay. Now, there are a few scriptures in the Bible that command us, actually command us, to praise God. And, but on, the, in the, on this side of the cross, in the New Testament, we actually want this always to flow from grace. We want to be empowered by grace. It would flow from a heart that's over, overflowing into praise. And so someone might ask, Pastor Kurt, what if I don't have this overflowing heart that wants to praise God? And I would just say this, um, ask God, pray and ask God, God, give me a heart that wants to overflow in praise. Give me a heart that wants to bless your name. And um, look what God said here in, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. This is what he said to the children of Israel. <clears throat> he said, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts um, and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all of your heart with, and with all of your soul and live. Okay? So there's this work of grace where God's doing something in our hearts that would cause us to want to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, strength. I'll say this. Um, it takes God to love God. It takes God to love God. We, there needs to be a, um, it's impossible for us to love God without the grace of God teaching our hearts how to love God. Okay, let's look at this verse one more time. I want to show you one other thing. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and live. Notice that very last word it says, um, and live. Notice the byproduct of loving God with all of your heart, mind, soul is life. It's actually praising God, worshiping God is a life-giving experience for you. It's a life-giving experience. Um, Jesus said this, um, uh, well, it's recorded of him saying it in the book of Acts. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. And so when we come to church, we, we shouldn't come empty-handed. We should come, or even at home and, and throughout the week, we don't want to come empty-handed. We want to come and um, give to the Lord. We want to bless the Lord. And so that's what we talked about last week. That was somewhat of a lengthy review. But I want to go this week, I want to take it a step further. And I want to talk about really one of my favorite subjects. And I want to talk about the progression between thanksgiving, praise, and worship. And kind of highlight some of the differences between thanksgiving, praise, and worship. I want to highlight kind of a, a pattern that's, that's actually been very helpful for me in, in my life. Um, you know, because we come into church and we know, Greg just sang a song a few minutes ago, that the veil is torn, right? We know the veil is torn. We have access to God. In fact, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verse 16, it says this, Let us then approach God's throne with grace and confidence. Uh, I think the, the New King James Version says, We can come boldly before his throne of grace, that we may, may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Um, we know that the veil has been torn. There's no, there's no separation between us and God. Legally, we're connected to God through the finished work of the cross. However, 
How many know that many times you come to church or you're trying to worship God or you're trying to pray and you're just, you're just not there. You're just not connecting. You're just not breaking through. How many have ever been there? How many of you are there right now? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hands at home. <laughs> um, personally, uh, my wife and I, we went to a, a pastor's conference this week down in Denver and I didn't sleep well the night before. Um, so we show up to this thing, and there's really good worship. The music's really good. The worship's good. People are raising their hands. People are engaging. And honestly, I felt like I'm tired. I've got a lot on my mind. I, to be honest, I didn't have a very good attitude. And I'm like, okay, God, we're praising, and I'm trying to praise, you know. And what I want to share with you today is something that has helped me go from that, okay, I don't really want to do this. I don't even want to be here right now, to, like, engaging God in his presence, okay? And so... Um, I, you know, raising your hands and doing these different, you know, mindsets of praise um, or these different postures of praise that we engage our body with, uh, sometimes you don't feel like it. But sometimes if you kind of prime the pump a little bit, you know, and move forward, then you can have a breakthrough. So here's the, here's the illustration I want to go with today. How many know that the Old Testament presents many types and shadows of the realities that we have in Jesus Christ today? For example, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, uh, the lamb that they, in, in Egypt, when they were in slavery, God commanded them to, to slay a lamb and to, to put the blood over the doorposts and their homes, and that the angel of death would pass over their home if they did that. How many know that was a picture of the sacrificial lamb of God, what Jesus did for us? He was the lamb of God slain for the world. Um, another picture is they immediately left Egypt. They went through the Red Sea. This is a type this is a shadow of water baptism, okay? Um, so it serves as an example for us today. And there are many things like that in the Old Testament. In fact, when you guys read your Bibles, you've got to slow down in some of these sections. And I know, like the genealogies and stuff like that, they can be really boring, you know, and you just want to skip, 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 you know what I mean? But slow down and read. Read things like, you know, in the book of Exodus, and slow down and read. All of this serves as symbols for us today that the reality of these things is found in Jesus the one I want to highlight today, and we read this verse last week, is Psalms 100, verse 4. It says this, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. We highlighted that verse and talked about how there's four different words for praise all in that one uh, scripture. But I want to talk about what's the deal with the gates and what's the deal with the courts. Okay, And some of you already know where I'm going with this. But it's conventional Jewish, doc, Jewish doctrine that Moses um, wrote Psalms 90 all the way through Psalms 100. If that's the case, and Moses wrote this, then Moses would have been talking about the tabernacle of Moses. Okay? Um, and so, uh, go ahead and put up uh, the picture of the tabernacle. Here's the tabernacle, everyone. That's a funny word. Everyone say tabernacle. tabernacle. Say tabernacle at home. Okay? I say taber. You say knackle. Taber. Yeah. Taber. All right. Okay. This is the tabernacle. What is the tabernacle? It was a portable temple built by the Israelites after they were freed from slavery in Egypt. It served as a place of worship and a place where they offered sacrifices to God for their 40 years in the desert. Now, again, uh, by the way, this teaching, it's going to be, this is a little teachy today, but I think if you get this, it's really powerful. Again, the blood of Jesus what Jesus did for us gives us access to the very presence of God. So I'm not trying to 
teach that there's any barriers between you and God. But today, the tabernacle serves us as an example of how we can kind of cast off the cares and the things of this world and approach God's throne, okay? Um, So when we read about the tabernacle in the book of Exodus, read it slowly. Look at these different symbols of the tabernacle and these different things that are in there. And I personally found this pattern to be very beneficial and helpful in my life, both in times of worship and in times of prayer, where just like you're praying and feel like your prayers aren't going anywhere. I found this pattern to be very helpful in my life, and I think it'll bless some of you as well. Okay, so uh, go ahead and put up the second um, picture of the tabernacle. Okay, so this is kind of a top-down view of the tabernacle. It says that we... According to uh, Psalms 100, verse 4, we enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. You guys can see the gate there, the entrance. We enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. We enter the courts with praises. But what about the holy place and the holy of holies? Okay, we'll get there in just a second. Um, You and I, Jesus, of course, is our high priest who went before us into the, there actually is a real tabernacle in heaven. Jesus went himself into that tabernacle. And he is our high priest forever. But the Bible also says that you and I are kings and priests before our God. Okay? And so, but there are times when the cares of this world, the distractions of this world weigh us down, and we're not able to engage our hearts in true worship. And that's what I want to go for today. How do we engage in true worship? Okay? Um, Go ahead and put up that uh, next picture of the progression. This is what I, this is, I guess, picture, come back, picture. There it is. This is what I want to, if, I guess if you could remember anything else from this sermon besides the toilet paper comment, um, remember that we enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. We enter his courts with praise, and then we go into the Holy of Holies, into the holy place, and we are ushered in by the Holy Spirit in worship, okay? Again, I don't want to become dogmatic about this pattern. I'm not trying to place a, a list of rules of do's and don'ts. I'm just saying this is something that's been very helpful in my life and very beneficial in my life. So let me just go through each of these stations real quickly, and, um, and then we'll wrap up. Number one, the gate. The gate is the place of thanksgiving. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. This is why so many times... When I'm on my way to church, I'm not trying to engage God in just deep, you know, deep worship at that time. I'm just saying, God, thank you for the church. Thank you for the people. God, thank you for my home. Thank you for this car. Thank you that we have food. Thank you for my daughters. I'm just thanking God. What am I doing? I'm getting my eyes off of the things of this world. I'm getting my eyes on Jesus. Listen, thanking God is a very, having a thanksgiving to God is very important. We need to have this. If you've struggled coming to a worship service like we've had at times, and you've struggled to enter in, and you've struggled to really engage um, your heart into worship and praise, I want to just encourage you, start with thanksgiving. Okay, start with thanksgiving. And these things will begin to fall off of you, begin to change your focus. Um, We've done a lot of teaching on thanksgiving. I could do a whole message on thanksgiving. I'm not going to do that today. But there's a lot of studies that thanksgiving what it does to our minds, what it does to our hearts. It changes our total perspective. It changes our health. It changes so many things. Thankfulness has changed my life. Thankfulness absolutely changed my life. And if there's those days where just everything's going wrong and you're just in a bad mood and it just seems like nothing's working that day. Man, just stop what you're doing and just say, okay, God, what, what can I be thankful for? And just list off the things that you're thankful for, okay? And that'll be one step closer to engaging God. Um, Again, this, when we start a worship service, we don't usually start. This is why we don't start like in these deep, like, 
you know, worshipful songs. We usually start with something that just lifts the hope of people. Because they might have gotten a, you know, in a fight with their spouse on the way to church, or they were checking in the, you know, the kids, and they're, you know, they're just getting here. And so there's just stuff. There's just stuff going on, right? And so we start with a song to kind of like lift people's hope, to get their eyes off of their problems, and to get their eyes on Jesus. We enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. Okay, so this idea of preparing our hearts before we come to the Lord, preparing our hearts as we come to church or as we have our quiet times. Okay, that's the first um, place is the, the gate, the place of thanksgiving. The second place is the outer courtyard, and this is the place of praise. Okay, there's two pieces of furniture in the outer courtyard that I want to highlight. They serve as symbols for us. The first one is the altar. The very first thing you will see as, or the priests would see when they entered into the tabernacle is right in front of them, there was an altar. An altar where they would make sacrifices. They would, um, they would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people at that altar. Of course, we know for us, Jesus ultimately served as that sacrifice for us. Because of what Jesus did, we're able to come into the presence of God. But what we also know from last week when I was preaching on this is that praise is... Um, a sacrifice to God. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, it says this, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Okay, Jesus was our once and for all sacrifice, but then it says for us, continually offer a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Okay? So we enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts, and then we come into his courts with praise. We begin to offer up praise to God. The other thing about the altar, when you come before the Lord, the altar, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says that you are the sacrifice, that we are to be living sacrifices. This is a great model for prayer. This is a great model for worship. You're coming before the Lord like, God, my life belongs to you. God, I just lay down my pride. God, I lay down those things, right? What are we doing? We're coming into God's presence. We're laying the things down before him that are hindering us. Luke chapter 9, verses uh, thir- um, 9, 23 says this. Jesus said this. Whoever wants to be my, be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily. I don't like that word daily. I thought it was one, one time and I'm done, one and done. Take up the cross daily and follow me. Listen, following Jesus is a daily occurrence. We have to daily pick up that cross and follow us, okay? The altar is the place that we die to ourselves, okay? The next piece of furniture that was in the outer courtyard is the brazen laver, Okay, the brazen laver, this is the place that the priest, he just slaughtered an animal, so his hands are bloody. This is the place where he would wash his hands before he entered into the holy place. Okay, now, the brazen laver does serve for us, there's a one-time example of this, and it serves, um, for one, as the place of baptism. The moment a person places their faith and trust in Jesus, receives what Jesus did for us, the very next thing someone is supposed to do is go straight to the waters of baptism. But it also represents the washing with water through the word that it talks about in Ephesians chapter 5. So it serves as the word of God. The word of God, as we read it, actually washes our hearts. It washes our mind, our will, and our emotions. And we're, that's why we're supposed to come before the Lord and read this word daily, okay? Paul, um, in Ephesians 5, he says, he, he's, giving it, um, he's giving an illustration of marriage and our relationship to Jesus. But this is what he says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water 
through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Okay, listen, Jesus wants to wash you in his word. And that's not just a one-time thing. He wants, to, he wants to wash you in his word daily, okay? We want to do that daily before the Lord. Once we've done that, now we're ready for the holy place, okay? And number three, point number three, the holy place is the place of transformation. How many want to be transformed? I want to be continually transformed. The holy place we haven't even got to the place of transformation yet, right? We received the sacrifice, Jesus, water baptism. Now we're coming into the holy place. This is the place of transformation. There are three pieces of furniture that I want to highlight in the holy place. As the priest walked into the left, he would see the, the lampstand. Okay, so this is a tent, so it's dark. There's a door. It's dark. It needed to be illuminated in that tent. Now, for starters, Jesus, Jesus is the light of the world. So Jesus is the menorah. Jesus is the lampstand. But the, this also serves as an illustration to us of the illumination of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And all, it serves as an illustration of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You want your heart to be illuminated? You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need to receive the blood of Jesus out at the altar. You need to be baptized and be washed, and then you need to come into the holy place and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can illuminate your heart. Okay? What illuminates, what else does it illuminate? Okay? To the right, there's a table of showbread. Okay? This table of showbread, um, it serves as many symbols. And by the way, I could, I could probably do a sermon on each of these places. Jesus, of course, is the bread of heaven. This also represents communion. The, the bread that we're supposed to take. We're supposed to take uh, the bread and, and the communion of the Lord. But it also represents the word of God. Again, the Bible. Uh, now someone might say, well, wait, Pastor Kerr, I thought you said that the laver represented the word of God. Well, yes, the laver represented the word of God. But out there, the word was washing you. In here, the word begins to satisfy you. Okay, the word begins to satisfy you. And let me say it like this. Under the illumination of the Holy Spirit, this word will satisfy you. If you read your Bible without the Holy Spirit, it will be boring. It will be a boring experience. If you read the Bible with the Holy Spirit, it will satisfy your heart. It's the inner, we've said this many times here at the church, it's the intersect of the Word of God and the Spirit of God where true transformation takes place. And actually, I think the, the holy place here is a good illustration of what we do here at church. We we have um, a time of of teaching, and in, in the Word of God, with the Holy Spirit illuminating, and then of course we'll go to the altar here in just a minute and talk about what that is. But people who are only Bible, they're all Word. We've said this; they dry up, right? People who are all Spirit and they're not grounded in the Word of God, those people blow up. But people who have a good balance of the Spirit of God and the Word of God coming together, they grow up in the Lord. We want to be people that have both. We want to be grounded in the word of God, but we want it to be illuminated by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we would grow up into God in all things. Amen? Okay. So the, the Holy Spirit illuminates the word of God in our hearts. Now we're ready for the altar of incense. This is the third piece of furniture that's in the holy place. The altar of incense is the place of prayer. This is the place of intercession. Now, let me... Let me say, okay, you got the, the picture up here. This is important. Before, uh, before, we weren't ready to pray. 
if we walked into the into the to the presence of God and we offered prayers before we died on the altar, guess what kind of prayers we're going to offer? We're going to offer up selfish prayers, right? But if we come to the Lord and then we, we, we die on the altar and then we come before the Lord and wash our minds in the word and then we come into the holy place and let the word of God illuminate, uh, the spirit of God illuminate the word of God, then we're ready to pray prayers that the Holy Spirit wants us to pray and prayers that he will anoint, okay? So the book of James, James says, you're, you, you don't receive because you don't ask, number one. So if you're not praying, it's, there's no wonder you're not receiving any answers to anything because you're not praying. You're, you're maybe wishing. But then he says, but some of you are praying and you're not receiving because you're asking and you're praying according to selfish desires, right? So it's important that we pray in accordance with the will of God. How do we do that? We know it's the will of God when we have the word of God and the Holy Spirit illuminates that in our hearts. Um, I'll say it like this, and hopefully you guys get this. You know the kind of prayers that God answers? I'll tell you the kind of prayers that God answers. God answers the prayers that he prays. God answers the prayers that he prays. The prayers he prays through you are the ones that he answers. This is why it's so important. We don't just come to God with our, our wish list. We come to God and get, a, get in, a, in alignment with his will. And then the prayers we offered him, the prayers we ask, are in accordance with his will. Not according to Fox News or CNN, right? <laughs> There's two, two polar opposites there. Not according to that. Not according to your worldview. According to the biblical worldview that he wants to work in you. All right? Okay? So God answers the prayers that he prays through you. And that happens when we're renewed, when the intersect of the word and the spirit come together. Our minds renewed. Our hearts renewed. Then we're offering prayers in accordance with his will. And now you're ready for the Holy Spirit. The holies, okay? The last place, the holy of holies, this is the place of true worship, okay? Are you guys getting this? Is this helping anyone? Is this making sense? This might be over some people's head, but I personally, this has helped me that I don't just, you know, sometimes you run into a worship service and you're immediately like, it's like, you don't, there's no lag time. You're immediately in God's presence. Other time, there's so many times I've just had to work through this stuff and like, Okay, thanksgiving, praise, and then, and then the Holy Spirit ushers you into worship. So the Holy of Holies, it is the place of worship. Back in the day when the priests um, ministered in the Holy of Holies, it was only one priest, the high priest, once a year, and never without blood. Today, because of what Jesus did for us, we have access to the Holy of Holies 24-7, 365 days of the year, all of us, because of the blood of Jesus. It's, just, it's so profound. It's so amazing. But here's the thing about the Holy of Holies. It is spirit to spirit. Okay, it's spirit to spirit. Therefore, the Holy Spirit has to usher you into this place. True worship is the Holy Spirit ushering you in. Um, I think it was, let's see, Jesus, uh, when he was talking to the woman at the well, he said to her, he said, um, there's a time coming when those who will worship me won't worship me in Jerusalem or here, but they will worship me in spirit and in truth, right? This, it takes the Spirit of God to usher you into the presence of God for true worship. Let me say it like this. We thank God for all of his goodness. He's good, therefore we thank him. <clears throat> we praise God for what he has done and proclaim praises for what he will do. But we worship him in the beauty of his holiness. Okay? Let me say that again. We thank God for all of his goodness 
We praise him for what he has done and proclaim praises for what he will do, but we worship him in the beauty of his holiness. Here's the thing about true worship. Worship is a revelation of God's beauty. Therefore, the Holy Spirit has to usher you in to a true revelation of his beauty. It's a revelation of his absolute worth. It's a revelation of his absolute power, his whole being. It's who he is. Okay? So true worship is a reaction to revelation. And that's what this whole business about laying off the things of this world and coming before God and preparing our hearts is to get all that junk off of us so that we can have a true revelation of his beauty, of his holiness, and then we can be ushered in by the Spirit and have a reaction to that revelation of his beauty, of his holiness. This is what we do so many times in worship. We're trying to find the river. We're trying to find where the Spirit of God is going. We're not just singing a song set or trying to go through the motions. We're actually trying to find, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? Where are you going? Okay, oh, we're going to find you, right? Um, let me read for you the predominant word for worship in the Old Testament. It is, it is this. It's shaha. It's uh, strong 7812 for those of you Bible nerds. Uh, there's no such thing, by the way, as a Bible nerd. There's just Bible people. Come on. Okay, worship, shaha. A primitive root, it means to depress, not to make sad, but to get low, i.e. to prostrate, um, especially reflect, uh, reflexively, in homage to royalty or to God, to bow, to crouch down, to fall down, uh, to beseech, to make obstinate, to reverence, to make holy, or, or I'm sorry, to stoop or in, in worship, okay? True worship, here's the point, true worship is a, is a reflex to the revelation of God's beauty, a revelation to God's holiness. And so here's the point. Here's the point I'm trying to make. You actually can't strive to enter into that. What I love about our worship leader, Greg, he's amazing. I don't see Greg strive hardly at all or if ever. He doesn't strive to get into God's presence. I just see Greg trying to find what the Spirit of God is doing and flow into it. And we're, we're blessed to have Greg, by the way. So a lot of people try to strive, like, oh, if I sing really loud and do all these motions, I'll get into God's presence. Well, some of that you might need to do to prime the pump, you know, enter his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. But ultimately, we're looking for that revelation of his beauty so that we could worship him in the beauty of his holiness, okay? It takes the Holy Spirit to usher you in to the Holy of Holies. That's what we're looking for, the Holy of Holies. Okay. I don't have time to go through the last piece of furniture that's in the Holy of Holies. It's the Ark of the Covenant, and it symbolizes some amazing things. But I'll say this. There's, there's been times um, in where, I mean, how many have had some amazing worship times before? I remember I was at a, I was at a meeting, and Rodney Howard Brown was ministering. And um, I was prayed for, and I fell onto the floor, and was just laying there. In, I was in the spirit. I was in the presence of God, laying on the floor. And I thought maybe 20 minutes had passed. I was just in God's presence. I thought maybe 20 minutes had passed. I sat up, and the room was empty. Like, the custodians were trying to shut down the building, and there's a few other people around. Literally hours had passed. Probably, probably two hours had passed as I was laying on the floor. I was in the spirit. I was worshiping in the spirit. And truth. I wish all the times were like that, but they're not. Um, another time, we, we used to have our, our young adult, our young adult retreat um, when we were when we were college pastors. A few of you were at those. Now, normally when you're leading a service, like I'm in charge here, I gotta make sure everything's going good. I know that I'm really in God's presence when I stop caring about the room. 
when I just care about God's presence. It's like, <laughs> I remember as a single adult, before I had met my wife, you know, you're in a room and there's guys and girls and like, you're worshiping, but you're kind of like thinking about, is that girl cute? Is that girl cute? Right? I knew I was really engaged in worship when I didn't, I don't care who's in the room and I don't care what they think, I'm going to worship God, right? Well, listen, at this retreat, <laughs> years after we were, we were married, I remember I was in this service and I was like, I don't even care what's happening. Like, I, and I was just walking around in the spirit, just lost in God. I was totally lost in God. Listen, this is what we want. We want to get lost in God's person. We want to come into the Holy of Holies. I will say this. Most Christians, I don't think, get to the Holy of Holies. I think a lot of Christians don't get to a true place of worship where they're, where they're engaging God in true worship. I think there's a lot of thanksgiving that happens, a lot of praise, but I don't know that people always pass that threshold. And so, and I don't know that I always do. I don't know that I always do, but that's what we want to go for. We want to be a church of his presence. We want to be a church of his power. Um, we want to engage him in this way. And so I think with that, let's, um, can the worship team come back? I want to close with a song um, today, and we're just going gonna, gonna to go back into worship. Thank you, guys. I want to close with this. We're in a crazy time in this. This is so weird that we come to church and there's no one here and we're talking to the camera. I so much rather speak to people in those rows than looking at the camera, but God bless you guys. Thanks for watching. Um, I want to say something going through this crazy, crazy time that we're in. Um, After the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, as you know. The waters came back over and their enemies were left dead in the water. And they, they sang a pr- song of praise to God. I want to read part of the song of praise. It says this, Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. Then Moses and the Israelites sang the song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and rider, uh, driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. Remember that word, defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Okay, that was the NIV. Let me read that again, verse 2 again, but in the um, New King James. It says this, The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Okay, what I want you to notice, the NIV, NIV says this, The Lord is my strength and my defense. The New King James Version says, The Lord is my strength and my song. One says defense, one says song. So which is it? Yes, it's both. The Lord is my defense and my song. Listen, your song becomes your defense. We need a defender. We need a defender. We, need a, we, we want to keep this pestilence away from our country, away from our city, away from our homes. Listen, your song, your song to the Lord will become your defense, okay? Lift up a song of praise to God. Lift up a song to him. And so let me pray, and, uh, and we'll close with worship. Father, I thank you that you're good. God, it is your, you came, Jesus, to this world to tear down every barrier so that we could walk intimately with you. The veil is torn. There's no barriers between us, Lord God. But I pray for your people today that we would learn the art, the art, God, of coming before you, the art of approaching God, the art of giving thanksgiving and praise and coming before your presence and knowing the way. Jesus, you are the high priest who went behind the curtain. You know the way. Lord, I ask that you would teach your people, lead us 
into your presence. You know the way. Teach us the way, Lord God, we ask. I ask this for every person in this church, that we would be a people of your presence, a people of power, Lord God. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for today. In Jesus' name, and everybody home said, amen. All right. God bless you guys. Thanks again for tuning into the City Lights podcast. We appreciate your support, and we'd love to fellowship with you. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. Be sure to check out our website at citylights.church, where you can submit prayer requests, receive info on special events, and find our social media links. We're glad you could join us, and we hope you have a blessed week.